Well, thanks for being here today. Welcome to Solid Rock. If you're new or visiting, we're happy to have you. My name is Matt. Um, last week, if you were here, you may remember we read a story in Luke chapter 10 that described an occasion on which Jesus spent some time in the home of some of who seemed to be some of his favorite people on earth, the siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in that small town of Bethany, just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. And if you remember that story, the point we emphasized, I think one of the main points of that stories was Jesus sort of nudging Martha. Jesus encouraging Martha, inviting Martha to sit at his feet as a disciple, just as her sister Mary had done, just as Mary had modeled, sit at my feet, become a disciple. This is the most important thing you can spend your life doing, not because it's the only thing you will spend your life doing, but because it shapes everything else. This is the call to discipleship. I want to continue that conversation, at least in a way, today as we turn our attention to the next chapter in Luke and discuss an indispensable part of the spiritual life, perhaps the preeminent practice in our discipleship. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking a little bit about prayer as we read through this small passage in Luke 11 where Jesus teaches his disciples about this critical spiritual activity. And I think for those who follow Jesus, we, we understand that prayer is a critical part of our lives. We get that prayer is undeniably a fundamental aspect of the spiritual life, and yet I think many of us would also be maybe willing to admit that it can be quite difficult to implement in our lives, at least on a consistent basis. And we understand that it's important to pray consistently, as the Apostle Paul stresses in his letter to, to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, what does he say? He says, rejoice always. He goes on, pray continually. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray at all times. Become a person of prayer. This is a defining characteristic of who we are as believers. We are a people who pray. In his book on prayer, Tim Keller said prayer is at the very heart of what it means to believe. Prayer is at the very heart of what it means to believe we are a people who pray. And why is prayer so critical for followers of Jesus? Why must we continue to cultivate lives of prayer? Well, I think that prayer, and not prayer alone, but prayer in addition to other spiritual disciplines, I think prayer is forming us. Prayer is not only giving us life, but it is giving shape to the life we have. And being formed through prayer, allowing prayer to give shape to our lives is critical as we walk through this world, as 
the well-known poet Christian Wyman said, the, the world that is designed to destroy the inner life. We live in a world that is designed to destroy the inner life. I think that's always been the case, but it's maybe increasingly so from the world of mass media to our increasing tendency to isolate ourselves, to our practices of consumption. Everything is designed to destroy life. And I want to suggest this morning that prayer is an essential part of pushing back against that trend of destruction. Putting in the work to ensure that we aren't allowing the habits and patterns of our world which are intent on destruction, that we're not allowing that to destroy who we are and who we were made to be. So let's jump right into this. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. We'll pause here. Luke says, Jesus was praying. I love this. The Son of God, the the creator of everything, God incarnate spends time praying. If Jesus spends time praying, I think that speaks volumes to us. Why would we think that prayer is not important for our lives? Jesus was praying, and why wouldn't he be? He was a serious Jew. This was a part of his life. As was his custom, Jesus was praying, and the disciples seemed to just be waiting for him to conclude. Maybe you've been there, maybe even when I've been praying. If so, I apologize. I sort of picture here our four-year-old daughter, Cora, as we pray around the dinner table every day, actually every meal, and if she has something to say or something to ask, I've noticed that she has her head bowed, but her eyes are opened, just waiting for that amen to be spoken so that she can interject her question or her comment. That, that's sort of how I picture the disciples here. Jesus is praying, and they're just waiting for him to conclude that prayer. And when he does, one of the disciples jumps on the opportunity, takes advantage of this moment of silence and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us, just as John taught his disciples, teach us to pray. Now this request from this disciple is a bit curious because the disciples... They're Jewish. They, they know how to pray. They are familiar to varying degrees with maybe praying the Psalms or prayer before a meal or standard morning and evening prayer. They know how to pray. And as New Testament scholar Ben Witherington notes, by the first century, personal and even spontaneous prayer was not at all uncommon within Judaism. The disciples can pray. They're familiar with prayer, but maybe they're just looking for a bit more direction. They want to now learn to pray as followers of Jesus, as students of Jesus. We know how to pray. We know what prayer is, but we want to grow in this practice. I think this is an important example for us to, to continue becoming a disciple. 
to continue developing in our faith and our faithfulness to Jesus Christ, we must learn how to pray. We must learn how to pray. I'm talking about more than just praying when we're faced with a moment of crisis. We must learn patterns of prayer that will carry us through and lead us through life. And that sort of prayer, I'm suggesting, is a learned experience. We are always seeking to grow in prayer. We are always learning how to pray. Learning how to pray, growing in prayer, is not sort of climbing a ladder of achievement in the spiritual life. When you get to the top, you've arrived. We will never have arrived when it comes to our prayer lives. We will always be learning throughout the rest of our lives. It is always going to be an exploratory experience. Prayer is something that we learn. I want to share something that has helped me in this process. I'm not suggesting that this is going to be the path for all of you, but this is something that has helped me in this learning process of prayer. It's this. I don't often use props, but today I'm going to use a prop. This is my new prayer book. It's the recently published uh, Book of Common Prayer for the Anglican Church. It was given to me last week as a gift from the rector at All Saints here in town. This Book of Common Prayer includes a, a variety of things. It includes uh, the lectionary that helps lead us through the liturgical year. Uh, it includes the daily office, readings for morning, midday, and evening prayer. It also includes a prayer for the week that helps guide us through the liturgical year, leading us through the season on the church calendar. Prayers for the day, following the liturgical year, what I've noticed in my life at least, those sort of prescribed prayers can help keep me focused on something more than just me. And that's my tendency in prayer. Whatever's going on up here, whatever I'm worried about, whatever I'm thinking about, that is the content of my prayer. Now, some of you may ask, why do you need a prayer book? Or maybe you would ask of sort of our corporate worship service, why do you pray these prayers that are written, that everybody recites together? Why do you need a prayer book. You're, you're a pastor with a Pentecostal background, for goodness sake. That doesn't seem to make sense. Can't you pray on your own? And my response would be, well, yes, I can. And I do pray a lot of personal, spontaneous prayers throughout the day. But I have found over the years that I also need something more than just that. I need something more than just the prayers that are coming into my mind for moments where I am struggling to have faith. I need something more than just what's in my head for moments when I don't know what to say. Or, or moments when my eyes can't see past my anxious thoughts about a situation that I'm facing. I need something more. 
At a conference we attended last month, Brian Zond was commenting on the importance of ancient prayers that have been handed down to us. Prayers like the ones you might find in a book of common prayer like this. Saying that we need, as the the people of God, individually and corporately, we need to learn to pray prayers that are wiser than we are. I, I don't know if that resonates with you, but it certainly resonates with me, and this is why. When I always and only resort to sort of that stream of consciousness approach to prayer, my prayers are almost always going to be limited to whatever happens to be on my mind in that moment, which can be a good thing if it's a part of prayer, but it's probably not good if my entire prayer life is devoted to what happens to be on my mind in any given moment. Zond went on to argue that an angry person tends to pray angry prayers. An anxious person prays anxious prayers. A greedy person tends to pray greedy prayers, and so on and so forth. So praying prayers that have been written down, prayers that have been given to us, ancient prayers, helps lead us into a new form of prayer. It enables us to pray in a way that is wiser than we are in that moment. This has been incredibly beneficial for me in my spiritual journey. Prayers that are more well-rounded than I am capable of in the middle of a difficult season. Something like this, it's not about stodgy religiosity. It's not about legalism. It's not about making sure I pray for an hour before work every day and that I make it through this morning liturgy for prayer every day so that I can make sure I'm a good Christian and I will get my reward. That's not what it's about at all. This is not something, prayer in general is not something we have to do. It's, It's something we get to do as children of God. This is a gift not a weighty burden to drag us down when we fail, or something that fills us with shame when we don't live up to the standard that we have set for ourselves. So prayer is learned. I think we see that in this story. The disciple says, Jesus, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples to pray, teach us to pray. And Jesus provides this model to guide the disciples in this way of prayer. So prayer is learned. I think prayer is also a response to what God is already doing and saying in our world. And I think we see that in this story. There are things that are on God's agenda, things that are important to God, that are on God's mind, and maybe our prayers should begin there. When we pray, we are in many ways responding to God because God is already speaking. God has and is initiating this process, initiating the conversation, if you will. Our speech is always a response, even if it seems like we are beginning the conversation. It is a response to God. Furthermore, that conversation doesn't always seem like a conversation we might have with a friend. You may remember that story of Dan Rather interviewing Mother Teresa, and he asked 
what do you say when you pray? And her response was, I listen. Rather looked a little perplexed and said, okay, well then what does God say to you? And her response was, I listen. God listens, or did I mess that up? God listens, and I listen. It's not like a normal conversation. I really blew that point. Um, I messed that. That's what happens when you think you can just go from your head and get away from your notes. You get the point, right? Even if I messed it up, you understand what, what was going on there. It's not like a conversation we might have with a friend always, but it is a beautiful form of communication that we learn throughout our lives. So prayer is good, and important and effective at every level. Again, it's not this ladder of achievement that we are climbing so that we can arrive at some super spiritual level. No, prayer is good and important, as technical as it gets or as unrefined as you can imagine. Prayer is effective even if it is just silence, even if it is just listening, maybe especially effective in those moments. In every season of the spiritual life, prayer is good and effective, but it is also possible to grow. It is possible to develop in our prayer lives, to to grow in our understanding of what prayer is, and to grow in our ability to pray. Does that make sense? Eugene Peterson wonderfully connected these two ideas that I think are present in this passage of prayer is learned and prayer is a response. I want to read through a pretty long paragraph, if you will bear with me. Um, he, He said this. It's going to be three slides, so it's really long. So when you get to the third slide, you know that we are beginning to wrap this up. Peterson said this. He said, language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mama, papa, bottle, blanket, yes, no. Not one of these was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. He goes on to say this, the massive overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers, however obvious it is in Scripture, is not immediately obvious to us simply because we are so much more aware of ourselves than we are of God. We are far more self-conscious than God-conscious. And so when we pray, what we are ordinarily conscious of is we are getting in the first word with God, but our consciousness lies. So it requires effort, repeated, imaginative, biblically shaped effort to acquire and maintain our awareness of this unqualified, thoroughgoing previousness of God's speech to anything and everything that comes out of our mouths. Prayer is learned. Prayer is a response to what God is already doing and saying in our world. And I think in some ways, prayers that have been handed down to us or praying through the Psalms, a rich Christian tradition, or praying scripture in general, those practices, I think, help us remember that we are always responding in prayer 
to what God is already doing and saying in our world and in our lives. And now we get into the content of this model prayer. We're only going to make it through three more verses, so it shouldn't take too long. You'll notice that this is a truncated version of Matthew's version, the famous version of the Lord's Prayer, or also referred to as the Our Father. This one in Luke is quite a bit shorter, but most of the elements from Matthew's version are here as well. Verse 2, teach us to pray. Verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So Jesus begins his model prayer with these words, Father, hallowed be your name. He addresses God in this incredibly intimate way and instructs his followers to do the same. Abba, Father. Prayer begins with this expression of delight in my belovedness as a child of God. We begin in prayer with delight by focusing on the beauty of our Father. I'm going to think about the beauty of God. I'm going to contemplate the attributes, the characteristics of God, but I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say it with my mouth God, you are holy. You are completely other. I'm going to think about your beauty. I'm going to speak words about your beauty. We don't begin in prayer with our Amazon wish list of things we want. Rather, we begin by focusing on the beauty, the character of our God. The prayer continues then, your kingdom come. Matthew adds to that in his version, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we acknowledge in prayer that our world, our systems, our organizations, our governments, and yes, our very lives don't always reflect the will of our Father. So we acknowledge our lack in this respect, and then we beseech God to bring his kingdom where it is lacking, to make that rule and that reign a reality today in our world where it's not a reality now. And as we pray that prayer, I think our eyes begin to be opened to ways in which I am called to participate in making the rule of God a reality in my world. It's not just asking God to miraculously break into our world and make his reign a reality, but it's as I pray this and ask God to bring his kingdom, I begin to see ways in which I can enact that as well. God, your kingdom come, your will, your reign, your rule be done today on this earth as it is in heaven. And then he moves on. Give us each day our daily bread. So we make it to the middle of this prayer before a personal request is made. And I think as this request, as these sort of requests are made in prayer, we are being shaped to be content in our limitations content in our limitations instead of demanding that we have everything we want, we recognize that we are finite. 
that we have needs today, maybe very big needs, and we're going to have needs tomorrow. Our needs are not going to disappear. I'm not demanding that I never have struggle, that I never have trial. We never progress beyond our dependence on the Father. And so we pray, Father, give me today what I need. Give me the food I need, literal physical food for sustenance. Give me the spiritual nourishment. Give me the hope that I need. Sustain us so that we can make it through another day. God, you have brought us in safety to this day. You have brought us in safety thus far. Preserve us today like you have in the past, like I trust that you will in the future. Continue to uphold me today. In prayer, we recognize that not every need, not every desire will be met in exactly the way we would like it to be met. We can still ask. In fact, I think we should still ask. We continue to make requests. We continue as the people of God to intercede on behalf of those who are experiencing need. We still make petition before the Lord. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week as we continue reading the chapter. But prayer is not first and foremost a way to get what I want. So as I pray, in line with what Jesus taught us, Father, give me what I need to get through this day, and that will be enough. I will be satisfied in you. Whatever my situation looks like, give me what I need to make it through today. And then he moves on. Forgive us our sins. Give us our sins. And this movement in the prayer regarding sin is twofold. I begin by acknowledging my own sin, my own shortcomings, the evil that I have participated in, and I repent of that. I look at it square in the face. I'm honest about it. I repent of it, and then I commit to moving forward in the grace of God. Father, forgive me for my sins and keep me from sinful temptation in the future. Father, forgive us our sins. I also, though, acknowledge in this prayer that I, too, need to forgive others. Forgive me, God, as I forgive those who sin against me. And I think that connection is critical for us to keep in mind. I forgive because I am forgiven. I am merciful to others because Christ has been merciful to me. I, I recount the words of Christ in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Prayer is learned. Prayer is response to what God is already doing and saying in our world. There is room for us to grow in our lives of prayer. And that growth, it's not at all about becoming verbose. It's not about making sure that you're technical and precise so that God can hear and understand your prayers. No, the, the simplest, most basic, most childlike prayer is often the most honest. Even silence can be a prayer. It's not about having the most eloquent prayers. In fact, Jesus warns against that kind of a thing. 
As the Apostle Paul suggests in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, saying, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes our prayers may not even be intelligible. There is a time and a place for that. But I want, what, what I want to argue today is that there's also a time and a place for focused, guided, specific prayer. And there's something I think that learned prayers, ancient prayers, do for us in that they anchor us in truths that are beyond our feelings in the moment, beyond our current situation. They anchor us in patterns of trust that seem to be beyond our reach in the middle of difficulty. So we have this beautiful prayer that Christ has given us as a model. And I think it's appropriate, I think it's good to memorize this prayer. Maybe you would want to choose Matthew's version because it is a little more, uh, there's a little more content there, but I think it would be good to memorize this and to use this prayer routinely, maybe even daily. But I also think it's more than just rote memorization. I think this prayer is more than just a prayer that we can rehearse, but it is a model. It gives us a basic structure of prayer in which we are allowing God to set the agenda for that time. Because to be honest, God, I could spend hours talking about all the things that are on my mind. I could spend days talking about the things that I am worried about. But let's begin this time, God, by talking about what's important to you. How do we know what's important to God in prayer? Well, Jesus tells us in this prayer. So in addition to reciting this prayer, we can use every section of the prayer as a guide. We can use it thematically, find the themes that are present in this prayer, and then explore those themes in your own words. Prayer is learned. Prayer is a response to what God is already doing and saying in our world. And learning prayers that are wiser than we are helps anchor us in truths beyond our feelings, truths beyond our abilities in any given moment. And I think this is a really important place to begin. Would you stand this morning? We're going to continue this conversation next week. Steve, if you wouldn't mind joining me as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table to meet with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through his body and blood. If you're new or visiting, we invite you to participate in this Eucharistic meal. We're going to form two lines down the center aisle. As you get to the front, the elements will be given to you, and you'll hear the words spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God. By way of invitation, our prayer for the week. O oh God, our refuge and strength, true source of all godliness, graciously hear the devout prayers of your church and grant that those things which we ask faithfully 
we may obtain effectually through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning?